As you know, we've been teaching the last couple of Sundays, in fact, on on changing your season. And the reality is, is that people sometimes get stuck, don't they? You've been stuck. Ever been stuck in real life in your car? And the more you tried to get out of the rut, the deeper you got. Amen. I preached for a pastor that used to have a form too. And he sank his tractor all the way up to the axles. And in fact, not just the axles, but the top fender wheels of the wheels in the back. You can get stuck trying to get out. (laughs) Amen. But you can get stuck in life too. And I've been trying to help us understand how to get unstuck. So last Sunday, I spoke specifically about four things. One thing that will change your season is to just wait. And if you live long enough, your season will change. And guess what? It even changes if you die. Because <laughs> it's not that anymore that it used to be, right? But the problem is you don't know how long you'll have to wait. The man at the pool of Bethesda had laid there waiting 38 years. So if you don't want to wait, I said there are three things you can do. You can pray fast and worship and those three things in concert done together are incredibly effective in terms of changing your season. And here we are nearing the end of the 30 days of prayer and fasting. Today, I want to talk to you some more about how to change your season. But the word today is going to be for people who after you have waited and nothing happened, and then after you prayed, fasted, and worshiped, you still feel stuck. What should you do next? And I will say this, that even though officially Wednesday is when the 30 days ends and the church in this 30-day fast for this season will conclude Wednesday evening, there are some, and I don't, and I have to be careful how a phrase is because sometimes people think you're trying to call attention to anything you're doing. And I learned long ago, long ago, that if that's what you're doing, then you just got your reward right there. And so it's just that, that some of us feel like, like you know, the, there are some people that, that haven't got their breakthrough yet. And what I keep hearing is there, there are folks that really would love someone to continue in the fight with them, with them. And so if you feel to hold on a little longer, that would be absolutely amazing. And if Uh, you learned in this season to begin to make prayer and fasting a part of your regular life, that that becomes your lifestyle, that that you just do this on a weekly basis. You you skip something, whatever it was you laid aside, and you seek God and do this with consistency. The long-term results of that are absolutely unbelievable. And speaking of people who still need a breakthrough, I met a little family, and before I, I share a name, I would just like to know, they may not want me to share a name, but is the little family that I met out in the lobby with a young lady who shared her prayer request, are they here today? Anybody in the building? If you are, raise your hand because I'm looking, and there they are right there. Guys, do you mind, uh, especially the young lady, would you mind if I shared that with the congregation? Okay, I'm not seeing anybody object. Is that okay, mom? Okay, I think I saw him do this. So with their permission, 
I was wrecked last Sunday. I met this beautiful family that I'm referring to. And I don't think the mom will mind me saying this, but after the worship service, I couldn't help but notice that her glasses were a little smeared with makeup. And, and just to make her feel better, I've had so many women tell me, you know, we just stopped wearing makeup to this church. <laughs> and I said, well, we don't teach against that. And, you know, and they said, no, you don't get it. You're a man. You put it on, spend all that time in front of the mirror, and five minutes into the service, it's, you know, it's everywhere. And I could see some of it on her glasses. And she introduced her beautiful little family, four kids. And, but she came to the last one. Instead of introducing her, she said, this is my daughter. She wants to ask you something. And, and she told me her name. And her name, I want you to please add to your prayer list. It's Navelli. And Navelli told me that she's been in and out of the hospital a lot recently. And asked, would you please pray for me, Pastor? Because she said, I have lupus and TPI. And she is about, don't charge me, honey. 9, 10, 11, 12, 30. <laughs> you know, years old. And just very brave. I hear stories like that and I say, God, help us to make a difference in the lives of people. And someone gave this to my wife. They heard that in the first service and it's a wristband. And it's, it's got verses of scripture on it. And they asked me to give it to you because I mentioned this in the service this morning. So after service, I hope I get a chance to give it to you. But I can tell you this, that if you fast and pray, there are people who deeply appreciate that. They really do. And then I also would like to pray, and my time is already getting away because I needed to, to do that, but you'll hear more from them later. But, but we have amazing people that have come to be a part of this church. Uh, Brother Robert and Sister Carolyn Jolly, pastor in Kingston, Jamaica. And they are connected to our church. And if they would please come. She has been in the States for quite a, a while and is now on her way back. Uh, I think this next week, if I'm not mistaken, to Jamaica. Brother Robert. Ocho Rios. Ocho Rios. I thought it was Kingston, but it's Ocho Rios. But this is Brother Robert Jolly, Sister Carolyn Jolly. Would you greet them? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And they are pastors, and some of you know them. I know that because I've met so many people after the first service who know them. And they serve in Jamaica. Brother Robert's going to stay behind just a little while, and she's going on. And this church is going to cover them in prayer. I love the fact that we always, when you're in ministry, you don't get out there and just solo. You need somebody praying for you covering you. And, and I'm, she's requested that we do that. And I want our staff that are here to just quickly gather around her and some of the ministers, if you feel like doing that, you're welcome to come. We're going to do this real quickly. And I want you to extend your right hand. And next time we'll have the opportunity when we're not in our season of prayer and fasting, we'll have the chance to be able to introduce them, get their testimony but would you help me pray? Father, I thank you for this incredible couple. 
and their love for you, their service, their dedication to the kingdom of God. And I thank you that you've called them into ministry and they are amazing people and making a difference with their lives. And now as Sister Carolyn travels back, Lord, bless her. Bless Brother Jolly. Bless both of them with extraordinary health, with great favor, with harvest for their efforts. I want you to cause the season of their harvest to come into its fullness. I want you to shift things for them supernaturally. They've done an amazing job already, but Lord, kick it up to another level. God calls the anointing to break forth in that area they minister in, in such a way that lives are touched and send a supernatural harvest. I pray you'll provide for them because they're in a country where so many times and in third world countries and developing countries, Lord, when America has financial problems, it's indicative of the huge challenges that other nations have. And so would you provide for them, open doors for them, open the windows of heaven for them. God, let angels accompany them, give them health, life, strength. No weapon formed against them can prosper. We pray it. In the name of Jesus, let heaven rain down and be good to them. Make their years rewarding. Encourage them. Wrap your arms around them. And I thank you for the great testimony of faithfulness that they have carried all these years. In Jesus' name. Can somebody in this... Sister Donzella, you should have been up here. I want you to at least... Meet the jollies if you don't know them. Amen. Amen. Pastor Donzella pastored many years and, um, and, and is retired to be here in the south with us. And we're thrilled for these wonderful people, including Sister Donzella. God bless her. But somebody shout and said, Amen. Now, lift your hand and say, we love you and we're going to pray for you. Okay. That's wonderful. And don't forget, these. Uh, just remember this. You know, you need to be jolly and pray for the jollies. Have a good attitude, happy. And I love these people. These are amazing people. And I thank God for them. And they're connected to people that during the years I've known, just like Sister or Pastor Donzella, I've preached for so many people during the years that I had such great admiration for bishops and great leaders. And, and this is all part of that kind of connection. They're just amazing. I'm going to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 23. And I want to read in verse 10. I've really been seeking the Lord. And you're going to have to, I'm going to tell you, listen very closely for this to come together in your mind. If you miss any of it, it's going to, just kind of go right by you. And I've asked the Lord to please give me the grace to be able to talk about this and explain it in a way that, that answers any questions that also it might raise in your mind. Because in this whole season of that we are in as a church, something has shifted. Wow. It, it's shift, it has shifted. But you won't, something to shift in your life too. And I'm going to tell you what to do if the waiting didn't work, the praying and fasting and worship hasn't worked yet, then I want, I want to dig a little bit deeper. And there is this extraordinary passage 
in Exodus 23, beginning verse 10, six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest. Everybody say, let it rest. Let it rest. And lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat and what they leave the beast of the field may eat. It's, it's in, incredible to me that God cares for the land, the people, the poor, the struggling, even the beasts of the forest. And he said, in like manner, you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. God even cares for the trees. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And so the, the Sabbath law we're familiar with. That's the last verse of that passage, verse 12. The first two verses, I've never heard a sermon preached on it in my life. I hadn't talked to anybody, and I've asked a number of people. Nobody I've talked to has heard a sermon preached on it either. But I'm going to do my best to deliver what I believe is the spirit of this, this message, the heart of this message as it is contained and revealed in these scriptures because it is the heart of God. And I simply want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes from this subject, let the land rest. Somebody shout it out and say, let the land rest. Come on, shout it good and loud. Let the land rest. So we've talked about seasons can and do change. Amos 9 and 13, the Bible speaks about accelerated seasons of blessing that are coming. I read, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, where the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountain shall drip with sweet wine. And all the hills shall flow into it. The plowman refers to the former breaking up the ground to prepare it for planting in the spring. The reaper, of course, refers to the former who will harvest the crop later in the year after it has spent the spring and summer growing. And then in come the reapers. But of course, there is a process before that, that crop reaches maturity and is ready for harvest. That process is described by Jesus in Mark 4, verse 28 through 29. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the former comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. You sow the seed. But then God takes over and the earth begins to produce of its own. This is the harvest cycle. And whether you're sowing good deeds and kindness and love and words of affirmation, or you're sowing into a family in the neighborhood that recently fell on hard times or sowing into the kingdom, whatever you might be doing, this is the way the harvest cycle works. And if you've ever grown a garden you know that within our context, and so I'll just use the comparative seasons from where we live, and it, the seasons might be slightly different in Israel in terms of their sequence and the way they fall, but you'll get the picture. If you've ever grown a garden, you know that, that what that means is preparing the ground in the spring and planting. And then the crop grows and matures, and depending upon what the crop is, 
because it could be some, uh, it, it could be any number of things from, from corn to, to beans and, and, and everything in between. But depending upon what is planted, harvesting can begin in midsummer or into the early fall. And after the harvest, the fall ends, right? And then you start the process all over again once you get out of the, the dead season of winter that comes after the fall. So there is that break of a whole season. To begin with, the harvest doesn't last all the way through the fall. And so the rest of the fall and then the entire winter season, you're not doing anything. And that's when the former does maintenance on his forming equipment. And this is what God said is coming. I want you to notice that God said there's coming a harvest so great. And this is to Israel, by the way, the nation, but it has spiritual applications because we are God's spiritual people. Israel is his physical covenant people. We're his spiritual covenant people. Paul clears that up in the book of Galatians. There's no difference in the two between us. So just remember that. All right. But then it has other depths of meaning and revelation that I want to try to tease out of this. And so God is saying to Israel that there's coming a harvest so great and it will take so long to gather it that the harvesters will still be reaping when the fall ends all through the winter into the spring. And whenever they go to sow the seed, the reapers are still going to be in the field and the sowers are going to go, hey guys, we, we're trying to sow seed. And they say, we hadn't finished bringing in the crop yet from the last season. I want you to realize how incredible that is. Amen. The plowman shows up to, to plow, but can't because the reapers are not done. Fertilizer won't make that happen. Genetically modified seed will not make it happen. And modern equipment can't make it happen either. What we're talking about is the application of a supernatural administration of the grace of God. I'm talking about God putting his super with our natural to change everything until there is no longer an earthly explanation. Wow. It's a God thing. Now, I need to set the context for this because our Lord is committed to doing things that are supernatural for us. And there's a reason for that. And uh, that is because we can't get it all figured out by ourselves in some situations unless he does. Sometimes the doctor's gone as far as he can, right? Sometimes you've made every decision you can make and your back is against the wall and your business still struggles. You've sought out the marketing gurus. Sometimes you've worked hard on the job and the promotion still isn't there. There is a point where what you're really needing is God to get involved in the middle of that process. Let's give God a praise and somebody say amen. And I need to clarify this because there have been abuses of messages like this. I'm not talking about some fake, phony, prosperity message where all you're going to do is walk on rose petals and you're never going to have a hard day in your life. 
I'm here to tell you, get ready. Hard times will come too. Why? Because we live in a broken, fallen world. But I know a God that can transform your winter season into a harvest season. I know a God that can flip it around for you. Amen. And we see this incredible increase literally formalized into God's covenant agreement with Israel in Exodus chapter 23 and other places in scripture. And why that matters is because it shows the incredible heart of God for his people. There may be, and I've, I've, like some of you, I've read the Bible through many times. And I, don't, I can't off the top of my head think of another place in scripture outside of those scriptures that have to do with the cross and the empty tomb where God makes such a strong commitment that it demonstrates just how much he has decided to take care of us as what I'm getting ready to talk to you about. And I'm referring to our text where God said, this is what you do. You sow six years and in the seventh year, leave it alone. If you will leave it alone in the seventh year and you let the land rest, I will supernaturally stretch the, the harvest of the sixth year where it will cover you through the fall, after the harvest, through the winter, all through the seventh year, and then into the eighth year when you go sow seed, the summer when it matures to the fall that comes after the harvest has grown. I don't think you're getting what I'm saying. God said, I'm going to take one harvest and stretch it and until it covers two years. I need to say that to somebody in this building that feels stretched right now. God said, I understand because while I'm stretching you, I'm stretching your harvest and I've got it. You're in my hands. I'm going to take care of you. Hallelujah. It's actually called the Smita year. And what it did is for six years, you get out there and you work and you're sowing. And so the first year you're, you're sowing and, and you're working in the field and the harvest comes and you're, you're focused on God. And then uh, second year comes and you're in the field sowing and reaping and focused on God. And then the third year, and what happens is over time, you become burdened down with trying to make sure everything works right. Trying to keep it all together. And in irrevocably, irresistibly, our attention gets taken away from the Lord of the harvest and we focus on the harvest. And God said, every seven years, I'm going to give you a reset and I'm going to focus your attention back on me. And so you're, you've worked for six years, seventh year, leave it. But God, I don't know how to survive. That's what I'm trying to tell you. If you will trust me, I got this. If you will believe me, there will not be an explanation great enough to scientifically and rationally tell you what I'm doing. But I'm going to cause you to be blessed at a level that even when you get through it, you're going to say, I don't know how this is happening. I don't know what God's doing. I'm talking to somebody that God's about to show up in your life and make 
the unbelievable happen. Mm. That's two full years. God stretches a harvest, but I didn't sow anything. God said, just watch. I'll make it grow on its own. I'll stretch what you reap the last year. I'll make some stuff come up by itself. You can't go out there and harvest it because you've got to be willing to share it with the poor, the animals. In other words, there's an element of giving, but I can't give this. My family needs it. I didn't plant. God said, watch what I'll do if you'll trust me. If you put your trust in me, I'm Jehovah Jireh. I know how this works. I'm the Lord of the harvest. I can make things happen that you cannot possibly plan well enough or work hard enough to take place. Make it take place. But then let me show you something else. Because they divided their years not into decades of 10 years, but into sevens. (laughs) And so that's why God said every seventh year. But he said, you do that seven times seven, meaning every seventh year for a cycle of seven times seven years, on the seventh year, this is what you do. And then the seven times seven is 49, right? Well, guess what 50 is? Oh, come on, I can't hear you. Year of Jubilee. That means, now watch the way it rolls out. Since it's the sixth year that you're not plan, that you're reaping and the seventh year you're not planting, it means that on year 48, you're reaping. You reap in the fall. You go through the winter into year 49. You don't plow. You don't sow. You don't reap in the fall. But guess what? You go through the winter into the next year, the year 50, and you don't sow, you don't reap. And so God said, what I'm going to do for you in the year of Jubilee is I'm going to stretch it to three years. I'm talking to somebody that's getting ready to get their season shifted. Uh, No, no, no. Uh, You're not hearing me yet. I'm talking to somebody. God's going to stretch your season until it's about to blow your mind. He's going to show up in your life. Because what we're talking about is the supernatural component that is left out when we are doing it all by ourselves. That's why every six years, God said, reap this year, but next year don't. Because I'm going to refocus your attention back on me. Because without me, it's just you. Just you are not going to be able to fix it. Just you won't make cancer go away. Just you won't bring a kid home that's been gone for five years and is strung out on drugs. Just you won't fix your marriage. But the supernatural component, if you focus back on me, I can make stuff happen. That I have the counselors hanging their head and shaking their head and say, I don't know how God did that. Who is it that I'm talking to right now? You need God to show up and do a miracle in your life that words cannot describe or define. Mm. Mm. I feel my anointing in this house. Look at somebody and say, he's here. And he's getting ready to do something in your life. 
And so if you waited and nothing happened, and you fasted and prayed and nothing happened, and you worshiped and nothing happened, I'm about to tell you how to kick it into the next dimension and shift to the next gear in your life. When you consider this, this Smita law is in essence what Jesus did when he fed the multitudes on two different occasions. You say, I don't see the comparison. It's really simple. 5,000 men with two fishes and five loaves of bread. And he put it in his hands and grew a school of fish. And a field of wheat that was big enough to feed 5,000 men. And scholars think there were up to 20,000 people that were there because they didn't count the women and the kids. God's holding something in his hands for you right now. Uh, I don't think you got the point. Who am I talking to? God's holding something in his hands right now for you. And not only that, oh, this blows my mind. (laughs) Because being God in flesh, he broke the last bit of fish, the last bit of bread that he knew anybody in that vast crowd could eat. And then he smiled and kept on breaking it. He knew there were going to be 12 baskets left over. Why did he continue? Because God wants to do more than enough rather than just enough. I'm talking about a God that is a God of more than enough. More than enough. Now, I have to answer the objections that I said would, would come. And somebody will be sitting out there and no doubt um, think And it's a perfectly logical question to ask yourself because I ask myself the same question. We don't live under the law. Why would that even apply to us? We live under grace. And then in addition to that, so far as I know, we don't have any formers except one in this building. Where's that? He's over there somewhere. Pastor Rodney grows hay our prayer pastor. We don't live under the law. We do live under grace. But listen to Colossians 2, 17. It tells us that the law and its ordinances were a shadow of things to come, but Christ is the reality. That was just the shadow. The fullness of the image is in Christ. And you, don't, you can't cast a shadow unless there's a substance there. I'm talking about the heart of God and his commitment to take care of us. And then in Hebrews 10 and 1, it says again that the law was a shadow of good things still to come. Uh-oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. You see, if you don't know the book of Hebrews, you might not know that there is one key word in the book of Hebrews. Anybody know what that key word is? It keeps appearing over and over. Better, better. Say it, better. Better. Somebody else. Better. That's the key word in the book of Hebrews. Listen. Hebrews says that Christ was made better than the angels. It said we are persuaded better things. The less is always blessed by the better. 
we have a better hope, a better covenant, a better testament, better promises, a better sacrifice, a better substance, and we're going to a better country, and we will have a better resurrection. Somebody ought to be getting happy right now. And that's because God has provided some better thing for us. Why? Because it's through the blood of Jesus that speaks better things. I'm here today to tell you the blood is speaking in this house this morning. And it's saying, I got something better for you. Thank you. I believe I will. Thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. I really do. Amen. So then the next obvious question is, why did Israel stop letting the land rest? You know what they started doing? They would go out at night in the seventh year and plant their fields. That's what Jewish rabbis tell us. And they would go out at night and harvest them later when the harvest season came. In the seventh year that was supposed to be left fallow. And the ground was supposed to rest. And they did that for 490 years. And God kept sending them prophets saying, don't. Let the land rest. Let the land rest. Let the land rest. If you don't, you're going to be carried away into captivity. And finally, 490 years later, everything they thought that they were preserving, they lost because they were carried away into captivity for 70 years. Why 70 years in captivity? Because every seventh year was supposed to be this smita, the let the land rest year. And you divide seven into 490 and you get 70. And God said, I'm going to get the land to rest. Land's going to rest. Only you're going to lose your houses and everything and you'll be carried away into captivity. Because my plan is not meant to cramp your style. Everybody talks about the judgment, the judgment. Judgment begins at the house of God. Christ took my judgment. That was a better statement than somebody is replying to. Amen. And so my point is simply this. That that what Jesus was or what God was saying to them is, look, guys, I'm the Lord of the harvest. I got this figured out. If you will do this thing that I'm telling you, trust me, let the land rest, I will supernaturally take care of you. And then you will know beyond any shadow of a doubt, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So why did Israel stop doing that? When you read in Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12, 2 Chronicles 36, 21, Ezra 1 and 2, It clearly says the reason they went into captivity is because they stopped letting the land rest. Now watch this. There was a reason. It was because the math would not add up. I need to back up. Say that again. The math would not add up. How can I survive unless I do plant the seventh year? And so what it really was, was a matter of, I trust me more than I trust you. And why is it that sometimes after we have waited, fasted, prayed, and worshiped, we're still stuck 
It's oftentimes because when you dig a little deeper, you will find out that what is going on is it's a trust issue. An amen belonged right there with an explanation point. <laughs> I'm sorry. Y'all forgive me. I have too much fun. I need to take next Sunday off. I'm, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> I, I'm going to be here, but I, I, and I'll preach next Sunday. But, but it's, not, it's not lawful to have as much fun as I'm having right now. I love what I'm doing. <laughs> and I love being connected to this church because I get to bring you into moments of revelation that can change your life. And so how do you change your season when you've done all of the above and nothing has worked? Ask yourself, is there a heart issue going on where you're not believing God? Internal problems produce external difficulties. Ooh. If there's an internal inability to believe God, it's manifest externally. And so what could be happening is within you, you're saying, I just don't see the math. I don't see the math if I give. And I want you to notice, and I have not one time in this message used the T word. You're like, T word. T I T H E. But you've been waiting for the bomb to drop. I see it in your face. My commitment to you is I will not use the T word at all today. You won't even hear it come out of my mouth. Why? Because it's not about trying to create laws. It's about learning to trust God to do his side of what he said he would do. And besides, people always want to make it about money. It's about your time. It's about your talent. Serving people. The math won't work. I don't have enough time. What you do is you do it anyway out of obedience. And so you have to say, God, if I do it, I know you're going to reward me. And you serve, right? So the first thing is deal with the internal problem because it's producing an external consequence. And learn to just take God at his word. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Not a singer, but I can tell you, I've learned the truth of those words during the years. Second thing, act in obedience and faith. I didn't say just act in obedience because that's what most people think. (sighs) Got to act in obedience. Act in obedience and faith. If you have a trust problem, it's indicative of a word problem. You don't really have a trust problem. You got a word problem. Because you get this book in your heart. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word was made flesh. He is the word. Embrace the word. If you're holding on for healing. Any of these things. What I'm telling you applies to all of them. All of them. You're holding on for a relationship that's in trouble. I'm telling you how to do that. Deal with the trust problem first. True story, and I'm done. Uh, my, my time is gone. 
Amen. When Jerry and I were younger, much younger, I was asked to be in a wedding. And I was in a wedding, and you know how oftentimes you give the groomsmen and the bridesmaids just some little gift or something? Well, the, the people in the wedding gave me a little gift, and it was, a, it was a, a desk memento, and it said, trust in God. And it was raised letters. It wasn't carved into wood. It was a flat stand, and it had these letters, T-R-U-S-T, and then G-O-D, trust God. Well, Jonathan was born. So it tells you how long ago that's been. And he got a hold of that and he broke the first T off of trust. Instead of saying, trust God, it said, trust in God, it said, rust in God. What's, hap- what's happening is some of us are rusting instead of trusting. Somebody say, stretch yourself. Come on, stretch yourself. Because in the dark midnight, you don't have to go out in the field. God will do it for you. God will supernaturally engage in your life. So believe God. Get in the word. Then act in obedience and faith. And number three, give. And I'm I'm not going to mention the T word at all. Don't need to. Give your time, your talent, your treasure. Help the poor. That's what God said you do. Don't get out there in the middle of the night under cover of darkness and I hope the neighbors don't see me sowing this seed. I'm going to tell everybody, look at the miracle I had, but it was really you. No. uh -uh. God will really do what he promised. Would you stand with me? Stretch your faith. Somebody said, I need to stretch my faith. Come on, stretch your faith. Look at your neighbor and say, stretch your faith. You know those machines where you have to pull them open at the gym and they work on your pecs? Somebody say, stretch your faith. Come on, stretch it. Grow your faith. Grow your faith. Whether that's in healing, a relationship, whether that is with a child that's left home, Rather, that's an illegal. I, I really feel that. Oh, Lord, why did I feel that so strong? There's somebody facing a legal situation, and you just believe God and trust Him. Because the song goes like this Late in the midnight hour, God's going to work it all out. He's going to turn it around. Turn it around. Come on, somebody say, Turn it around. Somebody say, Late in the midnight hour. God's going to turn it around. You don't have to be out there in the field. You can trust God late in the midnight hour. God's going to turn it around. God's going to turn it around. Every head bowed. I want to see the hands of those who had lift their hands right where they are and say, pray for me, pastor. I need God. God bless your hands going up all over the building. I want Christ. I want Jesus in my life. Keep raising him. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, young lady. God bless all those hands in the back. God bless you. Father, I pray right now. And if you would, those of you that raised your hands, pray this with me. 
Forgive us of our sins and come into our hearts and into our lives. Save us. Wash us in the blood of Jesus. We believe that you are our Savior. And we, we receive you as our supreme Lord to rule over every part of our life. And I ask you to begin to work on my faith right now. Build my confidence in your word and teach me to stand on the principles of your word. And let my life be transformed. And I declare it today as done in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Let's have a party for a moment. Come on. Hallelujah. 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 Does anybody beside me feel God in this house right now? Anybody feel the presence of the Lord in this place?